Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another brand new group of professionals, and today we are talking about victimhood. Now, people's experiences of being a victim are very different. Some people don't identify with the word victim at all, but it is something that's a big part of life for many. Every year, millions of people are a victim of a crime, and millions more suffer illness or injury. It's safe to say that it's an issue that we will all face in our lifetimes in one way or another another, but it's often something people don't talk about. Some people don't want to be seen as a victim and be pitied. Some people don't want to talk about the incident that made them a victim. And with a lack of resources and budget, some people aren't able to access the help they need to move away from victimhood. So as always, Blended is here to open up conversations, provide resources, share inspiration, and remind everyone that they are not alone. So welcome to the show, Deborah, Kelly, Diana, and Jefferson, who are going to share their experience experiences and insights with us today. So I appreciate all of you for joining us. Let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Starting with you, Deborah. Hey, great. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Sarah. I'm really glad to be here. Um, my name is Deborah Rue, and I'm just going to do a quick visual description because I work with people with disabilities. So I am an, a mature Caucasian woman and I have gray and purple hair and I'm wearing a red and black shirt today and I am joining from Richmond, Virginia and I own a company called Rue Global Impact and we work with corporations to meaningfully include people with disabilities and really um, highlight and honor the intersectionalities um, of the community of people with disabilities and I'm also the executive chair of a relatively brand new nonprofit called Billion Strong billion-strong.org for the 1.7 billion people living with disabilities. We just want to make sure that people with disabilities come out proudly about our lives instead of how it has been in the past and that we're supposed to be embarrassed, for example, that I had a daughter with Down syndrome. I'm not. She's amazing. Thank you, Sarah. I, I love that. Thank you so much for being here and for the impact that you're making on uh, the community. All right, Jefferson, you're next. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. Thank you very much, Sarah, for having me. And wow, Deborah, you have set that bar really high. Um, <laughs> my name is Jefferson Darrell. I am the founder and CEO of a boutique change management consultancy called Breakfast Culture Incorporated. Um, Breakfast Culture, we do change management consulting and marketing, specializing in the diversity, equity, and inclusion spaces. Um, myself, I identify as male. Um, I'm also Black. I think of myself, um, my family would say, we call ourselves maple onions. I was born in Canada, but my parents are both born in Bermuda, Bermuda onions, hence where that comes from. So I have Caribbean roots, although I was born in Canada maple onion. I also am on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. I identify as, well, if I get to pick two boxes um, from both standpoints, I like to pick gay and queer. Um, similar when it comes to my racial identity, if I get to pick two boxes, I like to pick black and mixed. I mean, technically mm. my family is very mixed, um, but I do identify as black. Um, in terms of visually, um, 
I would say I'm handsome. Actually, others would too. Um, I would say I'm in the sophomore years of life right now. Uh, shaved head, um, round sort of oval shaped head with a beard and a goatee. I guess that's called a Van Dyke technically. And I'm also wearing some fabulous, little shout out to Rap Optical in Toronto, fabulous Rap Optical glasses, um, just sort of round bright yellow glasses. And I'm wearing a black AMI t-shirt. I love that. And your nails. Don't forget oh, the nails. Yes. Um, today, I happen to be sporting um, blue nail polish. I love that. Thank you so much. Closer, it helps me from biting my nails. Nasty habit of mine. Oh, good call. I think I need to do that. Kelly is saying she needs to do that, too. Jefferson, really excited for you to be here. Thank you so much. Diana, you're next. Hello, Sarah. I am so excited to get to know the rest of the panelists here today. Um, I'm calling in from Vancouver, BC, Canada, and I am the head of marketing for a shipping and logistics group called Stallion Express. Uh, we do Canadian e-commerce shipping. And in a prior life, I used to also work in the fitness industry. So a bit of a pivot and a change for me. Um, I would describe myself as Asian female, and uh, I did grow up here in Toronto, Canada, actually. And um, my hair is always caught in this very messy bun because it makes me feel more efficient getting through my day. Okay. Um, very rarely would you see my hair down and in something fancier than a t-shirt. I'm still very much in the athleisure uh, chapter of my life that I don't see myself moving away from. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for joining us, Diana. And thanks for that description. Last but absolutely not least, Kelly, you're up. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so very excited. Um, I am calling in from Chicago, Illinois. I identify as a Caucasian female and um, I'm a logistics recruiter. So I work for a 3PL logistics company called BCS Placement. And we work with freight forwarding companies, 3PL domestic brokerages, trucking companies, warehousing companies, logistics software, anything in that 3PL, 4PL space. You know, we help them find great talent for their teams. And we help people find great opportunities utilizing our experience and knowledge of the logistics industry specifically. So awesome. in a past life, I actually danced for the Chicago Bulls, Lovables team um, from Iowa. So small town girl living in a big city. Um, and I've been here for about 12 years and just love being an ally and an advocate for other people to find great opportunities to thrive. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. It's great for you to be here. And I think we've got an awesome panel of uh, diverse perspectives and we're talking about victimhood. So let's get started. What does it mean to be a victim? And I'm sure each of you share very different perspectives on this. But Deborah, I'm going to start with you because you are, you do work with the uh, disability community and I'm sure you have a very interesting take on this. Yeah, well, thank you, Sarah. And I think it's such an important topic for the times also. And, um, you know, at times, definitely, I felt like a victim personally. I, I have felt at times when I was a woman um, business owner, a woman entrepreneur, often, you know, there are times we don't feel as women, we get the same options as others. And I know I am a sexual abuse survivor, a two-time sexual abuse survivor. I certainly felt victimized many times. And but at the same time, I 
personally um, have a very obnoxiously optimistic personality, which I think is a positive, but uh, often some people think it's really annoying how optimistic I am. But I really have used these times when I personally have felt like a victim to try to learn more about myself. And I have found that any of those experiences have made me more empathetic towards others. I've also found that walking those hard really, really tough experiences have made me not only more empathetic for others, but I think it makes me a better entrepreneur and a better leader because I can identify that, oh, you did, you walked what? Oh, wow. So I've used it um, to help become a better person. Um, and also I've tried to use all of those experiences to try to help others sometimes see different perspectives. Cause when you're right in the middle of it, sometimes it's, it's very difficult to see your way out of it. So, mm-hmm. um, so very important conversation. Thank you. Yeah. And I chuckled a little bit when you said that people think you're too optimistic. I mean, I want that kind of energy in my life. So I don't know who those people are, but I think they're playing a different type of victim. Jefferson, yeah. what do you think? What's what's victim? What what does that mean? Um, so I guess, I mean, I typically like I just quickly did a quick little Google search in terms of the dictionary definition. Yep. Um, a lot of times, it's funny, I think of, I mean, right now, we can just say it's a person harmed, injured, killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other event or action. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, victims of domestic violence. I know myself, um, based on this definition, for me personally, um, I would go back to when I was, I want to say in grade one or grade two, um, and I apologize in advance, we are going to take a slightly scenic route here. Um, when I was in grade one and grade two, I was physically assaulted up the side of my head. Um, I'm pointing like people can see, but I'm on camera here. Um, and this left me with a scar on my left temple. I was physically assaulted by a bigger kid. Um, I was called F word, N word. And it was the first time I heard those two words. Um, there was blood, I had to get stitches. Definite victim in this case. Um, in this case, a victim of racism. And this is where I'm going to use to sort of pivot into when we think about victimhood in the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sorry, when we think about victimhood in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. I got to be honest, for me personally, it's a bit of a four-letter word, meaning I find a lot of times when, whether it's women, whether it's racialized peoples, queer peoples, peoples on the disability spectrum, et cetera, et cetera, whenever people who aren't part of that dominant culture. Whenever we try to advocate for ourselves or point out the inequities in society, a lot of times um, dominant culture will fight back with, oh, you're playing the victim card again, you're playing the victim card. And I find it's not really about playing the victim card, it's really just about pointing out these inequities. Personal story in terms of the victimhood piece, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends actually, after the racial awakening of 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, he had said, he pointed out to me, says, Jefferson, it feels like, I mean, this was coming from a place of love, I would say, and respect and friendship. But he said to me, feels like you're constantly discussing and pointing out racism, like you're just doing it all the time. And you remember him saying to me, if you go looking for racism, you're going to find racism. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, actually, no. The difference is I've always experienced this. I just kept quiet about it Mm -hmm. for your comfort and the comfort of the people around me. 
Um, I suspect it's what a lot of different marginalized groups um, do as well. And it just feels to me personally, since certain political, um, what's what I'm looking for here, I'm trying to be politically correct, political changes in the United States occurred, it feels like a lot of people are basically speaking up for themselves mm -hmm. in terms of what they've experienced that people might call it victimhood mm -hmm. um, versus, you know what, I'm just actually sick and tired of being quiet about the inequities that I face on a daily basis. So yeah. I'm going to point them out and call them out. So that's um, a little bit in my long-winded way uh, around victimhood from my perspective. No, I appreciate that. And I do appreciate the stories because it really puts it into perspective. And one of the things that you you spoke about made me think about Oprah. Mm -hmm. Oprah Winfrey has been very vocal on a number of different topics. And I've re I remember throughout the years he hearing people saying, well, she's always talking about that. When is she going to stop talking about that? right? Whether it's racism or what have you that she's advocated for. And I remember hearing that and I'm going, well, she's not going to stop talking about it if we're, if you're still going to marginalize, <laughs> you know, and we're not going to be able to have these conversations. And that's why I think some of these conversations are so important. And that even happened at her level with her being, you know, oh, who she is. Exactly. And I mean, to underscore that, Sarah, from my perspective, again, I'm looking at this through the diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. Yeah. I have to find when people bring up that concept of victimhood, it is merely meant to shut the conversation down. It's mm -hmm. really just a polite way of saying, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. You're being a victim. Wow. That's just that's... my, that's my personal perspective. That's powerful, um, man. I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads here as well. Yes, there are a lot of, a lot of nodding heads. So Kelly, I'm going to go to you next. What does victim, what does the word victim mean to you? You know, I have put so much thought into this because it's such a multifaceted mm -hmm. topic and feeling. And I feel that as a fellow empath, Deborah. I, I like to think that everyone has their own journey through life. Not everything is going to happen the way that we want it. And unfortunately, we can only control what we can control, right? So there are going to be things outside of our control that happen to us, around us, that might not be what we want to happen, might be something that, you know, we've put time and effort into, you know, working towards something and it doesn't work out, right? And in in my way of thinking, I think it's okay to feel sad and disappointed and maybe guilty or whatever feeling someone feels when something doesn't go the way that they had hoped or planned. And I feel that sometimes being vocal about how you're feeling and how disappointing that is or how sad you might be can come off as, as vulnerable and weak. And I think that's sometimes disappointing of me looking at the world saying, well, we're trying to you know, change the conversation around to it's okay to not be okay, but there's still a lot of people that you know look at that and say, well, you might have put yourself in that situation, or maybe you didn't deserve the promotion, and that's why you didn't get it, right? Um, but I think being vocal about how we feel and being genuine and authentic people is what can change this world. And um, I think as, as a recruiter, it's sometimes difficult, to be honest, because I truly want to help everyone that, that I'm working with. 
and I want to think the best of everyone. And there might be a conversation where someone's walking me through their their career journey and people can be as honest with me as they want to because I'm a third party, right? I'm not the hiring manager making that decision and I can help, you know, highlight what you're looking for and what you're not looking for. Um, but sometimes it's tough because you want to identify the trends, right? If someone has moved jobs, you know, time after time because they don't get along with their coworkers or like someone was mean to them, you know, does that make them someone that's difficult to work with? And what kind of situation and environment can I put them in where they're going to get the support that they want? And I, I truly want to help everyone and and highlight to the hiring manager why they're a good fit, right? And so an element of me sometimes feels a little bit of imposter syndrome because I want to think the best of every single person, but I also have to be, you know, mindful that I I might not be able to help everybody that I talk to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they get mad at me about that. (laughs) And they're like, I need a job. I need to get to work. You're supposed to help me. You know, I'm working with you to help me and I do everything that I can. But at the end of the day, you know, I only have so much say. Right. Um, So I do think, you know, being a victim sometimes can feel like you are putting yourself out there to share something intimate that isn't always well received. A lot of people will say like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just keep on trucking. And in this industry of logistics, you know, it's, it's a really hard rat race sometimes and you can feel the feels and not always know where you can go to talk about it. So I think there's no right or wrong when it comes to, you know, speaking to your feelings and feeling victimized. And I know we'll talk about this probably later, but you know, the victim mindset is a little bit different. So different. I'm so glad you brought that up because as an entrepreneur, you know, I go through that with staff and things like that too. And, you know, if they're not doing their job, you know, and then all of a sudden they turn into the victim, you know, and then it turns into a whole situation. But we're going to talk about that. Diana, I want you to weigh in here and talk to us about what the word victim or what victim means to you. Yeah, I think um, as Deborah and Kelly brought up, there are so many different kinds of victimhood. And although through my own personal experience with some of them, um, whether it's um, discrimination or whether it's through uh, gender bias, um, I feel those things. And I think even if someone has felt the same, it may not be the same outcome or the same um, perspective on the circumstance. So I think being an empath and having those uh, understandings through personal experience is important. However, um, as Jefferson mentioned, I think sometimes when you are willing to be vulnerable and have these conversations, it makes people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And perhaps it makes people uncomfortable because, oh, well, they may not have had that personal experience. They don't know how to relate, but then it makes it hard for them to even approach the topic. So why not just brush it under the rug, move on, ignore it, rather than sit in that like discomfort and be like, well, can you tell me more about it? Can I lend an ear? Can I try to understand what you're feeling? Because at the end of the day, no one actually, you know, feels the same way about the same situation. So imagine different situations. So I think, you know, to Jefferson's point, it's I love making people feel uncomfortable in those situations because I'm like, well, this is a great time to learn especially in the workplace, you know, where people don't necessarily feel like they're able to have personal conversations because it's professional. It's the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the roundabout things everybody's really been saying is it's all in the response, right? 
It's all in how you respond to somebody as to whether they will leave the conversation maybe feeling like a victim or whether they're going to leave the conversation feeling heard. Deborah, you're nodding your head. Yes, and I, I want to come at it from two angles because, um, first of all, I'm so impressed with the panel. And um, I know I'm the oldest on the panel, but it gives me hope hearing people talk like you do, leaders like this. So it just gives me hope. And um, so I, um, I, I sort of want to, uh, the thing that is bubbling out of me first is a comment that Jefferson made and that I'm sorry that it's making you uncomfortable, but I kept quiet so long. And he, I'm putting words in your mouth, Jefferson. You didn't say, I'm sorry, it's making you feel uncomfortable, but I kept quiet so long. I actually thought that of a lot of peers my age, because I'm over 60, I really felt that um, I was pretty more enlightened than a lot of my peers, more of an empath. I love that Diane and Kelly are both using the word empath, because we should be more empathic towards each other. And But at the same time, I have learned so very much as we've all walked this ridiculous path that we've walked over these last how many years. And I remember when the United States elected a president that I did not vote for. And that particular president just personally freaked me out. And I remember a silly little skit that um, Saturday Night Live did where there were some Caucasian white people like me sitting around with their wine glasses ready to toast the woman candidate that was going to win. And we were so ready. And the, um, there were several black actors. I think Jamie Foxx was one of them, probably Kevin Hart, smart Alex. And they were laughing at how clueless the white people were. That was me. That was me. I just really, even though I thought I understood Jefferson, I had no idea. And so I think part of all of this is for us awakening in a different way. A different way. Now, first of all, I remember one time I posted an empathetic response to somebody in my my state here in Virginia that a woman we had to pass a law in the Commonwealth of Virginia um, because and I want to tell the audience my face is getting all heated up and turning red because I'm I, this freaks me out these conversations because I try to be woke I try to be empathetic and understand and I've missed so much so that says to me we all have missed so much so but I just remember just I I there was a law that was created so employers could not um uh, discriminate against uh, black women because their hair of their hairstyles. And I remember seeing this law, and I was just amazed that we have to create a law to for you not to pick on African American or black women. I, I really, and so I was saying that online, and I, I'm blessed with a large audience and a woman um, that obviously had had some victimhood. Um, She's like, well, that's because you're white, you don't get it. And if you understood and she attacked me and and that's fine if she felt to attack. But the problem was the conversation stopped. Yeah. Nobody else would engage. We wouldn't talk. I I was trying to understand and empathize. But and so I think. What I want to say is it is so important that we listen to each other and that Jefferson teach me what I don't understand and that I take the time, as Diana says, to 
respond in a way that she doesn't feel like I'm not hearing her, putting words in your mouth, Diana. And if she does think I don't hear her, she's going to teach me. And I appreciate the younger people actually now not being afraid to teach people like me and others. And I'm just speaking for my beautiful older generation because we need to listen better. Mm -hmm. And I also want to say to Kelly, when she's talking about imposter syndrome, that that is such a problem that we women have. And Mm -hmm. I imagine it's not just women are having these problems as Jefferson is saying, oh, yeah, nope, y'all don't have the corner on that. So many people. Yeah, so I just want to say all of that in that we all have to work harder at trying to listen and trying to understand and not assuming that we understand, that I understand your walk, Jefferson. I got it. I got it. I'm with you. No, no, no. Shut up. Be quiet, Deborah, and listen to what is being said. So I just want to say, even in this conversation, I'm learning and growing, but boy, I got a lot of work to do. So Mm. thank you, Sarah, for having conversations. Thank you, Deborah. Jefferson, I think you want to jump in here after um, everything I, Deborah just said. I do, actually. Thank you very much, Deborah. A um, couple things. I'm going on a slight little tangent here. Love your discussion about your interaction on social media, which is one of my pet peeves about social media. Yeah, It's, it's hard to have these discussions on social mm-hmm. media. I, too, have tried them as well. I don't know who you are, so... Like, you're just going to, like, listen to me, listen to me. That's all that matters. Sorry, I'm putting my fists together here for the, um, (laughs) from an audio standpoint. Um, Sorry, a little aside on that front. I did actually have an amazing interaction with someone I didn't know on social where we talked about these types of, in this case, it was more about racism, specifically around To Kill a Mockingbird, and he was white, and he was like, great first place to start. And I'm like, well... It's not a bad place to start, but I wouldn't call it the first place to start. And here's why. Explaining that it's racism from a white perspective, as you know, a savior perspective. Not once do we hear about the person who's actually impacted by the racism. And he actually came back and said, you know what? Thank you so much for that. And it was a very non-confrontational interaction where we both listened and respected. So kudos to you, Deborah, because it is tough to have these discussions. But where I was going, though... An analogy I like to think of when it comes to this concept of, say, victimhood, more importantly, the concept of understanding what people are going through. And I've heard all three of the other panelists talk about the keyword I'm hearing here is listening and understanding or two of the keywords I'm hearing. And I'm going to I'm going to expand on that to say listen to understand. And the analogy I want to use here is um, I'm going to talk about depth for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So I recently lost my mother for me recently is last year, but still, where I'm going with this is about three months before my mother passed, I had two friends who also lost their their mom. I was there for them. I called them. I did this. I did that. And But not until I went through it did I realize, oh my God, I could have done so much more. Mm. I had no true idea of exactly what they're going through. And I remember calling them up afterwards and saying, I'm so sorry. I could have been here more for you. I should have been here more for you. I should have done this. I, but again, I, I have no concept of that because I haven't lived that. I haven't experienced that. And I'm finding it, and I'm just using this as an example because I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but it's a, it's a fact of life. Death, or let me rephrase that, having a loved one die on us is a club we are all going to be members of, whether we want to or not. Mm-hmm. And it affects us all differently. I understand that and I get that now. But all I'm saying is going to go back to this victim and peace and understanding. And I hope I'm not triggering for anyone here. I see a note in the um, chat now. 
I think that might be an interesting analogy when we look at sort of victimhood in terms of trying to understand what that other person is going through. Because a lot of times I find we don't, like we don't know. Um, I have no idea what Sarah's going through right now. I have no idea what Deborah's going through, what Dan is going through, what Kelly's going through. Just listing in the order I see on my screen. So, you know, um, I don't. You don't know what I'm going through, for example. And until you really experience something that someone else is like, the example I use from a workplace, I've lost both parents now. When my father died about eight years ago, and I feel like I'm just advocating for more brave time at work. Where I was working at the time, I think you got two, three days maximum, whatever it was, which was not enough time. And I just remember going into work and thinking, I'll take the last three days off of the week to deal with what I need to do with that. And I'll just do Monday and Tuesday. And one of my colleagues came to me and she said, why are you here? It's like, what do you mean? It's like, your dad just died. Go home. You right. shouldn't be here. And I said to her, well, we only get three days, and which is not enough time. Mm-hmm. She went over to our boss and said, look, Jefferson's dad died over the weekend. He hasn't told anyone yet. Uh, just thought you should know. And kudos to my manager at the time, because he came to me and said, you take the time you need. Go, go home. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the policy is. You take the time you need. And you call me when you're ready to come back. And I was wow, I was so touched by that. And I suspect he was older than me. I suspect he'd been through that and he understood. Whereas I remember exact opposite another place when I was much younger in my late 20s. Um, And it's funny because it didn't, it bothered me, but it didn't bother me as much as it does now. I actually had a colleague say one of our suppliers missed a deadline or whatever because they lost a parent over the weekend. And we were all touched by it. But then I remember one of my colleagues like, well, that happened two days ago. Like, you know, how come they're not back at work and doing this? And I was just like, you cold, heartless person. Like, I was just, wow. And clearly they hadn't lost someone in their lives who was that important. So, I mean, that's the analogy I'm going to bring to the table in terms of this concept of victimhood, uh, in terms of not really understanding what someone else is going through, whether that's, you know, as we talked about, as I said earlier, injured, killed, result of a crime, accident. I mean, it could even speak to mental health issues or things like that. Yeah. And I appreciate that perspective. A lot of the examples that you gave, though, were also examples of not playing the victim. You could have played the victim on a variety of different accounts through any of those stories. And instead of doing that, you turned it around and said, well, wait a second, I could have done more. So I wanted to point that out because we're going to talk about, you know, people playing the victim card because that is a thing um, and how we get out of this. I think that the word victim is used very mainstream. It's used in a variety of different ways. Jefferson, you already spoke about earlier how it's used in one way, but then people are also using it to potentially get out of something or making sure that their feelings are validated which I, it's, it's such a buzzword. Like I hate to say buzzword around the word victim, but I feel like it's a buzzword and I feel like it's getting used in a variety of different ways that really just creates all sorts of confusion around what we're talking about today. And that's why I wanted to get down to the bottom of this. And that's why I wanted to talk about it because I think that it's important. People are overusing it. We're using it in the wrong ways. And so let's talk about that. Now, one of the questions that I have for you is around bias and competition. Because when something happens to us, some people feel, oh, no, no, no. What you're going through is way more than what I'm going through. Right? 
or we look at it and, and, you know, somebody went through, I don't know, a divorce and somebody went through maybe a death of a family member, right? And we treat them differently depending on what has happened and how they've told, told you what has happened. So what do we think about this? Is there bias around victim of a particular, I don't want to say crime, because it's not always crime, right? But circumstance maybe or experience. Diana, I'm going to start with you on this one. Yeah, I, I think there definitely is bias. And um, something I, I mentioned before is like, even if two people are experiencing the same situation, and maybe that's the death of a family member, it's still going to be very different because of their, you're looking back at their experience with that family member, the relationship that they had, the time leading up to the death, what the death was, there's just so many personal aspects to it that you as a person from the outside looking in may not understand. And when it comes to like just identifying these two victims as as the same, it's it's almost like saying that that's just their permanent identity now. Like this is, they're just victims of such and that's just who they are. And that's also not great either. And maybe this is not exactly answering your question, Sarah, but then this could lead me to another tangent of just, you know, when someone is a victim of a circumstance, Yes, they are going through it in, you know, a certain amount of time, whatever that may be, but it's also not their sole identity. There is also more behind the scenes of that person trying to work through it, feeling the support from, you know, their their main network of their family and their friends, and knowing that the support and understanding will give them back control of their lives, however much time they need to heal from whatever circumstance it is. What I'm trying to say, I guess, is it's so different person to person, situation to situation. And it's never good to step into a conversation assuming before asking the questions. And like we all have said, like learning and listening. Yeah. Well, I think the bias that I think we need to point out with the bias that it doesn't help from the victim standpoint to actually speak up and tell their truth around the circumstance because of the bias that we've created around telling those stories. Right, Diana? Yes, absolutely. And um, because, again, there is this um, common use of the word victim now, everyone's just a victim, everyone's using it to get out of situations. It's it's almost um, lessen the load or impact of the word in my perspective, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because I wouldn't personally just throw that word around. And um, it has become more mainstream and I think mainly misunderstood um, to be calling someone a victim and, um, mostly the response of when that is heard. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Kelly, what do you think? What do you think about bias around victim and victimhood and how can we, how can we support people who have been through something? And then we're going to get into personal stories. Yeah. A lot to unpack there, Sarah. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I think that, I think that the word victim can sometimes not necessarily be how we identify ourselves in a situation, but it might be how we perceive that person. So for example, um, I've done a lot of research into narcissism most recently because, you know, when people live in the mindset that everything they are going through their life. Everything is happening to them around them. They never have any sort of responsibility for their actions, right? So if I 
like hurt Sarah's feelings in some way. I said something that hurt her feelings and she did or said something back to me. I can't even admit to maybe I made her feel uncomfortable or did something to make her feel bad. She's just being mean to me. And because I I can't come to terms with it, I can't see her perspective, even if she tries to share with me. Kind of like I think Diana had said, asking, you know, why do you feel that way? You know, having those tough conversations to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry if I did something to, to hurt your feelings. Can you tell me more about how you're feeling or what your thoughts are, what I can do differently or better moving forward. I think people kind of shut down, like has been said before, if, if you make people uncomfortable, they don't want to, you know, share more, or they don't want to find out more, they don't want to change, they stay in their lane, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the best way that we can combat that is to not only be able to listen to the other perspective, even when it's uncomfortable, but sit with that feedback and the thought and put ourselves in that person's shoes, how they've walked through their life, how we made them feel in that moment, and what that may feel like. So we can't always truly feel that for for someone else, because we've never lived in their life. And so I think another thing that I've learned throughout my life and career um, is that instead of jumping to trying to support someone in the way that I think they might need me, if my friend calls me and is telling me about a situation, having a bad day, I always ask, okay, do you, do you need me to listen right now? Do you need to just vent? Do you want me to help solve the problem? Do you need advice? Or do you want me to just be there for you? Like, in the same space as you, do you want me to come over? What do you need from me? How can I be there for you? Because I never want to assume and say something that might make them uncomfortable. For example, my dog passed away and I had him for 11 years from when I was in college. Um, and it, it really was hard and I, I haven't lost a parent, so I can't speak to you know that experience, but it really was hard. And I had some friends that wrote these long winded, you know, cards and letters to me about all of the experiences and how special he probably was and and was to them and was to me. And I couldn't even read them. I could not, I needed to like distract myself with those feelings because I didn't know if I could keep going if I kept staying in that space. I appreciated the support. I appreciated the thoughts. But for me, I was like, I need to somewhat be able to separate and maybe read one of those per day, (laughs) read all of those, because how am I going to get over this? Right. And so I think the biggest thing that we can do is understand that no one person on this earth is perfect. Everyone has a different experience. We need to listen, but we also need to really try and, and put ourselves in other people's shoes and not always point the finger, but understand that we have an impact and a contribution to every situation. There's always three sides of the story, my side, your side, and the truth. Yes, I love that. And I think the key word there is responsibility. We are interchanging the word victim with the word responsibility. And we're trying to curb taking responsibility for what we've done and how we've uh, shown up maybe or whatever that looks like for the word victim. Right. And I think that's what you were saying, right? You have a responsibility in every single situation of what you've contributed in that situation. And so if you're not taking responsibility for whatever that is, whether it's, it could be good, 
right? It could be a really, really good thing. It could be a really, really bad thing. But if we're only taking responsibility for the really, really good things and we're not taking responsibility for the bad things, I think we're intertwining those words um, a little bit too much. And I think we all really need to take a look at our responsibility and our role in some of those situations, those circumstances, the experience for somebody else, as well as ourselves. All right. So let's um, talk about some personal experiences and stories, because this is really where our conversations kind of take hold. I want to ask you, you know, what was your experience of being a victim? What was the impact and how did people treat you? Like you, Kelly, you just talked about how people treated you when you lost your dog and what worked for you and what didn't work for you. This is where we really get to let people know how we want to be perceived in a circumstance or a situation like that. Diana, I'm going to start with you. Of course. So, um, yeah, so one of my experiences being a victim um, would have been at uh, the workplace. And um, basically, um, we went for an offsite, so a work outing, um, the group of us. And one of the male colleagues um, was definitely stepping out of bounds in terms of um, his behavior towards me throughout the night. And so I kept quiet and I waited until all the alcohol and things like that were out of play. And the next day um, I hesitated. First thing I did was I hesitated bringing it to anyone's attention because was I allowed? It was an offsite. It wasn't at the workplace. Was I um, exaggerating the feelings I had towards the situation in my head? And the third thing, of course, being, will I be supported by my managers and by the company um, if I make this official and undocumented on paper? And so through the support of my friends and my colleagues, um, especially the ones who were there that night and witnessed the event, um, I was encouraged to do so. And unfortunately, um, I feel that this is a common theme is um, I went through the the steps and procedures of filing the paperwork and throughout many conversations, including my managers, the HR department and higher ups, I was made to feel that I had definitely exaggerated um, my part in the situation, that I had a role to play in that, that I was absolutely just playing the victim card and I needed to move on and forget about it. Otherwise, the situation would drag on longer and make my life more difficult, having no repercussions on the other person's life. So we just had to show up to work, you know, pretend nothing had happened. And now there's all this... Um, there's all this gossip, I, I could say a better word, but happening in the workplace because now the situation was known. The whole company is no longer allowed for offsites. And, you know, things were just, Ugh. there was no addressing of it, I, I should say, through the management team. And um, because of that, there was just a lot of um, unhealthy behaviors happening in the workplace. And of course, that did not make me feel good. And the situation ended up dragging on for about six months. And there was no end result, if I am honest. Um, and throughout those six months as well, we were still on rotating shifts. So I still had to see this person every day. Yes. So it was definitely not great. Um, and in, in my eyes, yes, I would say it's a form of discrimination in gender um, because. Um, again, this person had no, no effect to him at the end of the day. He just carried yeah, on. Absolutely. I'm sorry that you went through that. I think 
How did you feel when they said to you that you were just playing the victim card? Like, how do you? And I guess the other part of this is anybody listening with a situation like this, and you're going to say that they're going to pull the victim card. Just think about the questions and everything that you went through in your head to get you to the place where you had the courage to speak up and go through all that paperwork and get to it to where it was. Like, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of mental energy. So just think about that. Next time you're going to accuse somebody of being a victim, everything that they've gone through to get to that particular point. How did you feel when they said that? Well, to your point, Sarah, what actually brought me to the office that first day to, to make it official was that I knew I had a support system. I knew I had witnesses to to be there for me. But what I did not want to happen is for this to occur ever again, because this person is still fully employed by the company. They were still acting the way that they were at no point throughout those six months admitted any fault. If again, if anything said that I had a role to play in it. So I just really did this not for myself, but just for, you know, not having this person in this environment and for them to learn from this, from this consequence. But um, the way I felt, of course, was, you know, why did I bother? Why did I do this? Why, why is it that no one seemed to listen? Again, anytime any rep from the company picked up the phone to call me during my work day, it was as if they were being interrupted through their usual work, as if I caused more issues to them. And they would make me think like, playing the situation down. It was almost like sales, like different different people in different positions. Some of them tried to play the situation down. Some of them tried to just brush it under the rug, deflect it completely. Um, and some of them just said, oh, well, this doesn't make a case. So we should just not even bother and proceed. So it felt like no matter who called as a company rep, it was always, we're not listening to you. We're going to tell you how it's going to go. And this wow. is what we're going to do, right? So no one at any point took a step back to even think like, hey, is she going to be okay? Like, do you want to take a day off work? Like, do you want to at least, you know, speak to your manager? Perhaps we can try changing your shift so you don't see each other. There was no effort um, in in that way at at any point. It was very much just, we're telling you how this is going to go. Talk about gaslighting. I mean, that's a whole other episode, which I think I have a whole episode on gaslighting. So go and listen to that episode because this is this is gaslighting at its finest. What kind of support would you have preferred? And you know, just from the way you're speaking about it, you obviously didn't, you know, you didn't play the victim card. You didn't think about yourself as a victim. You actually were thinking about others. And so I also want to point that out because anybody who's playing a victim card, you know, you're playing a victim card. You need to learn from these people because (laughs) you guys are all coming from a place of, I'm not the victim. I want to help other people. And that's the way it really should be. But what kind of support would you have wanted from maybe peers or maybe the organization that you worked with, or maybe even family members? Of course. So I think my my colleagues were the most supportive in the situation because um, they the, the after the first day when they heard how it was initially received by our management members and the higher ups, second day they were in the office themselves one by one mm-hmm. <clears throat> doing their own witness reports because they were like, oh no, if wow. she's down this way we're going with her like that is not okay and we don't want this person in because we're also thinking of others and this is just this is not okay and I'm going to tell you my perspective so my colleagues were extremely supportive in that regard 
I would say my managers, it, it almost seemed like they were willing to listen. But then when certain things got very detailed of the situation or whatever, they would have to call in the HR to be looped in. So it almost felt like my day-to-day manager had their hands tied. They wanted to be supportive, but they also wanted to keep their job. So they very much kind of flip-flopped on the level of support I was getting. And to be honest, now being a manager myself, it's difficult. I don't think there is a perfect answer on how to handle it because you want to follow the policies and procedures, but you also are a human and you can hear this person and you want to listen to them. So I feel that now being a manager, there there is a good way to balance it, but you know, if you're in a position where you're comfortable enough to on your personal situation, if this company's policies and procedures don't support my morals and values, I'll leave. Like I'm not going to stand there and listen to all this going down because if this is happening to one person, to an employee of mine, and I'm not feeling the support for them, then I won't get supported if anything happens to me or my other team members or my colleagues, so on and so forth. So that's how I think my day-to-day manager in that at that time could have handled it a bit better. It seemed like they were just 50-50 on who to be with me. You're such a great example. And I appreciate you for sharing that story and really diving into what it meant to you, who was supportive, who wasn't, and why. Because really, at the end of the day, unless we hear situations like this, stories like this, perspectives, nothing's going to change. And we want to, we want people hearing this to go and make some change and make an impact. So I appreciate you for sharing that. Jefferson, do you have a personal experience? And I know you were like just shaking your heads around policies and procedures. So you might want to start with that first. <laughs> you know, I mean, first off, Diana, thank you so much for sharing and for being brave and sharing your story. It's not easy. Sadly, your story is not, you're not alone. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been one of the supporters or colleagues. I remember years ago, a little aside here, um, I worked for a major, major North American retailer. I was fresh out of school, got hired. And first time they'd hired um, a guy who was like doing stock boy, basically. And I remember on our first break, me and the other guy, the first two guys hired in a while, he only hired women of a certain cup size. I'm just going to put that out there. And the woman who's with us on our break says, oh, gee, you know, manager said if I went out with him, like, he'd give me the job. Like, and we were like, he did? He's like, yeah, is that discrimination? I think we're like, yeah, we'll support you. And we were both there to support her. You know, she just said, you know what? I don't need this hassle and she quit. Mm. Another woman came along. He did the exact same thing to her. We became friends, actually. And both of us were like, you're not the first. We will support you if you choose to. And she did. He ended up getting fired. Suddenly, the women's breast sizes shrunk. Um, Black people were allowed to work cash wrap. Um, Gay people were allowed to be out. Like, he was just horrific. And I mean, so your story um, is not new. And kudos to you for sharing. And thank you for that. I'm when I think about the policies, though, that's one of the issues, though, and I'm being what I'm hearing, and I see this in a number of my clients, a lot of times it speaks to that litigation piece. I'm sure I don't need to tell you any of that because I'm sure that was going through your head and that's probably what was going through the manager's head as well. Um, but a lot of times it's those policies that are just so vague, like Deborah brought up um, dress code. And I can't tell you how many times I see policies um, that always end with blah, 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 to your manager's discretion. Right. 
depending upon who your manager is, people are different. People are going to see different things. Mm-hmm. Um, period. And that's the part when I always tell a lot of my clients when they ask us to at Breakfast Culture to review your HR policies, like you were not being specific in the policy. Sarah's going to see something very different than Deborah's going to see something different. Diana who's going to see something different from Kelly. Could be just some, if we're talking, let's say something as maybe air quotes benign as dress. Actually, I'm going to use here's a concrete example about dress code. But it also um, speaks to bias. I'm sorry. It Exactly. Oh, no, you're right. It opens it up it to bias. It opens for bias. And I remember once I'd hired um, an assistant, we had a very casual environment. I remember when I was interviewing her, I just had like jeans, a t-shirt, a jacket on, Steve Jobs or whoever. No, I think he's um turtlenecks. Anyways, it was very casual. And she <laughs> came in dressed to the nines, like she was ready for this big corporate investment bank job. She looked good. And I did say to her, hey, for your next interview, you don't have to come dressed up. You can wear a casual environment here. Personally, I felt, and this was my personal bias, she came a little too casual. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to the club here, lady. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a fine line between both. And I thought maybe that's my bias. To my HR manager's credit, she actually asked me, what do you think about their ties? Personally, to me, it felt a little, I'm going to the club versus I'm going to the office. And my HR manager said, you know, you're right. I agree. And so I said, well, look, I can have a chat with her. And the HR manager said, you know what? It's better coming from me. Number one, it's I'll, I'll approach it woman to woman. I'll approach it HR manager to new employee. And really, I'll position it as um, let's get you on, you know, a good first day, first start or what have you. And admittedly, I mean, this was this person's full-time, first full-time job. So I think that was some of that going on too, in terms of what casual attire looks like in the workplace. Anyways, I just want to say thank you, Diana, for sharing. Um, sadly, your story is not, it's it's a very common, common story. We hear that a lot. But, but what I will say Sarah, sorry? is most people don't speak up. Yeah, no, exactly. Not a new story, but most people most will people not speak up. You're right. Will not speak up. Yeah. And I love how when Dan talked, you were saying how you thought this through. And that's the part that really gets me when people say, oh, you're playing a victim card. Mm-hmm. You didn't just come out and say, well, this is what happened, which is frankly within complete your rights to do. Um, right out of that gate, you actually thought and you said, look, I weighed this in my head. Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Like I find anyone who brings up any of these types of injustices, they, they go through that thought process. We do before we bring it out. But I'm um, going back to your question, Sarah, around victimhood for me, not so much a workplace thing, but I realize now the time where I, I want to say, I guess I played the victim card. Um, Deborah, you'll probably re- might relate to this with your work. Uh, about 20 years ago, I had a very rare neurological disorder. Um, I had an, it was called transverse myelitis. It was an inflammation in my spinal cord, left me paralyzed from the waist down. And I wasn't sure if I was going to walk again. Um, What I do remember clearly, I will never forget this. I had my pity party. I remember being sorry for myself. I'm not going to do this. I didn't want to see anybody. Didn't want to go out. Didn't want to do anything. And I will never forget this. I wish I could remember this woman's name. I was in my condo one day, hunched over with my walker, like trying to just, it was a struggle to walk. And there was this woman who was in a wheelchair. She was quadriplegic. It was a Saturday night. She was dressed up to the nines. She was going out and my friend's like, oh, where are you going? She's like, I'm going dancing. It's like, and she's like, yep, in my wheelchair and everything. I'm going dancing. She was going out and going out for a big night on the town. This woman was never going to walk again. 
I had a chance to walk again through physio and all of that. And that was when I realized for me that I'm in this pity party. And I, 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 I will say it now, I was playing that victim card. I was feeling very sorry for myself a whole bit. But I remember seeing this woman who was never, ever, but she, she didn't have legs, frankly. She was not going to walk. She's out there. She's like, I'm going dancing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. She's living her life. And I remember yeah. thinking that was a huge for me from that victim. So it's like, here's this woman who's just not going to walk again. But I have a chance to walk again. And I'm sitting here playing the pity party and just feeling sorry for myself. And that was a big turning point for me. Mm -hmm. um, sad to say, um, this was in the news. She actually died. She got, oh. she was crossing a street somewhere here in downtown Toronto. A car hit her. Mm -hmm. um, it was quite the tragedy. But I remember, I mean, going back to um, Kelly's example of when her dog had passed. I didn't know her family at all. Like there was a whole memorial in the building and whatnot. And it's like, if you wanted to pay your respects, they were sending some stuff to the family. So I remember I wrote a little card and just shared that little story with them that you are like, I didn't get a chance to tell her how she touched my life mm -hmm. and how she impacted me. But I wrote that for the family and I hope that they did get the card and read it. But that's, I'm just going back to that concept of um, looking here at your um, script here, Sarah, when you talk about, playing that victim and being that victim and that self-imposed, I'd say for me, that was probably the one time where I definitely was playing the victim. Thank you. And I recognized that, oh, I am playing the victim. Yeah. And here's this person who like, they're just not, they're not going to, they're not period. Yeah. And they're out embracing life. And I mean, that was a huge turning point for me. Yeah. And it's a great example of taking responsibility for yourself and being aware that you were playing the victim in that moment. But what I do want to say is that it's okay. If you have to take some time to have a pity party and play the yeah. victim for a well, little bit, to your you know point, what I mean? Sarah, Let's just say that story. You're absolutely right. That it's okay. I say that because I had a friend later on who had testicular cancer. And he approached me to say, Jefferson, when you were going through that, I remember those two years you were always positive, you were energetic, you always looked forward. And to your point, Sarah, you know what, you're absolutely right. And I said to him, what he didn't realize and what I didn't say in the story is, I had my pity party in bed. Mm -hmm. And I always said to myself, Jefferson, you can sit and you're right, Sarah, I acknowledge those feelings, I embrace those feelings. Mm -hmm. But I always said to myself, once I get out of bed, I have to be positive and I have to look forward. There were days I didn't get out of bed till four in the afternoon. Right. Because I was just feeling so sorry for myself. And but, feeling but once I got out of that bed, mm -hmm. I just promised myself, I'm look, I'm moving forward and I'm moving forward in a positive fashion. Yeah. Even if I didn't get out of the bed till four or five in the afternoon mm -hmm. and spent most of my day playing the victim and having a pity party. Once I got out of bed, I had to look forward. So well, I did. So thank yeah. You. And I think the other point of that is forcing it on other people. I think when we have a pity party and we're, 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 we've got, we're going through the emotions and doing what we need to do for ourselves is one thing. But I think part of this conversation and what we're talking about is enforcing victimhood on other people. Yeah. So Deborah, I'm going to go to you next. Thank you, Jefferson, for sharing that. That's a, such an amazing story and brought up some really, really good points. Now, Deborah, um, share with us, you know, a personal story um, of when, you know, whichever, whichever you want to share. Um, but I also want you to address the point of pity because you do work in the world of disability. And I feel like that lives in your world, even though it shouldn't. 
Right. But it's something that happens, right? Because some of the disabilities are visual and you can see it on people's faces. Um, so talk to us about your experience and then talk to us about pity, because I think it's a very, very important thing that all of us need to be aware of. I agree. And, and, and I think I can probably speak for all humans. We don't want to be pitied mm-hmm. right away. <clears throat> right before I say that, I do want to um, also thank Diana for her story and Jefferson for his um, empathy and also his really powerful story. Uh, I, and I want to remind uh, corporate employers, all employers, just a little reminder, there is something going on called conscious quitting or quietly quitting. And we know that you have policies and procedures and all that stuff, but we know that what happened to Diana happens over and over and over again. And I want to tell you the really talented people that you want to hire, they're not going to work for your company anymore when they keep hearing those stories. We are done. We are sick of it. Get it right. Hire Jefferson's company. He'll come out. He'll look at your policy and procedures, but we're not going to work for you anymore. Stop it. Cut it out. It is not acceptable. Just saying that real quick. Then back to your question, which is, I had said I actually accidentally interrupted Jefferson when he was speaking with condolences for his mother because um, I've lost both of my parents and it is there were very different experiences. Um, I was really sort of surprised and how the grief I experienced with my mother's death, for example, it just it was so much different from what I experienced with my dad. And to Kelly's point, I have I have lost some furry friends that have crushed my heart. Um, I, I believe in the saying that says um, when we have cats and dogs, they teach us unconditional love mm. and then they teach us about unconditional loss and how to deal with loss yeah. so that we're better prepared to deal with when our beautiful humans die around us. So I was with my husband 41 years. What a blessing, but what a loss. But the one I want to talk about is when my daughter, my beautiful, perfect daughter was born with Down syndrome and the responses of my first beautiful child of people around me that acted like my daughter was broken. She is not broken. My daughter's a little, there's a show now coming coming out called Wildflower. My daughter is a wildflower and she's beautiful and amazing and she belongs here. And so one thing I would say, as people pitied me because I had a daughter with Down syndrome, as people pitied my daughter, as they pitied my family, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. I do not accept your pity. Take your pity. And anyway, so one thing I would say, first of all, in the workforce, we better start taking this human part of it seriously. We better start taking this work-life balance seriously. If you as employers do not understand we are listening to each other, you are missing the boat and you're not going to get the best employees. And so I just can't say that strong enough, but also very, very important to humanize these conversations, which you're doing beautifully, Sarah. Thank you for that. But it, we are individuals living our lives working for you. Sometimes our babies are born differently. Sometimes our bosses sexually abuse us. Sometimes I had a woman be so horrible to me as another woman. I could stun y'all with that story. But what I did was, even though it was hard, I took the time to say, but wait a minute, this isn't fair, and stood up to that woman. And, and so I think 
pity, it, it is a ridiculous word. And if you're pitying a person because they have a visible disability, you're just really missing the point, as Jefferson's pointed out, because we're all these beautiful biological human beings. Sometimes we can't see, sometimes we can't hear, sometimes we're born with an extra chromosome. We are humans. Stop it. Stop it. Stop deciding part of our who we are doesn't work. It's ridiculous. And mm. so I think we have to keep having these conversations and we have to really have the hard conversations. But by God, if you're doing what Diane's former, hopefully, employer is doing, you better be talking to Jefferson because you need some overhaul. We're not going to work for you all over the world. We won't work for you if you're doing that anymore. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. That is, yeah, that is. I'm so tired of those stories. Mm hmm. I know. I think, I think a lot of us are right. We, it doesn't need to happen. Right. That's why we're having these conversations. We need to awaken people. I mean, Diana was very lucky to have the support system of the people who said, no, wait a second. We are not tolerating that. I can tell you, you know, I'm 43, you know, going through work. I was told that once I had babies, I wouldn't even care about a career right right you think I could go to that same person and say that somebody touched my leg in a car and I felt very uncomfortable no I had a customer that said oh so why don't you come down for the weekend oh you mean me and my husband no 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 just you (laughs) and I was like no and they were like well you're not getting the business then you think I can go to that same person and say that conversation no right there wasn't that safe space There wasn't that camaraderie. There wasn't the people there that were willing to stake their jobs to say, I will not do this anymore. We are not going to have victims anymore. We are going to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So I appreciate you for sharing that story as well and talking to us about that pity. I mean, like you said, who decided what was different? Right. Who decided that? Who decided what a perfect human being looked like, talked like? Who decided any of that? And what happens when we live our beautiful lives? I'm in my 60s and I've been told, go sit down in a rocket. No, I'm going to go gray, but I'm going to put purple in it because I want all the other younger, beautiful women to say, it is okay to get in your 60s. -hmm. Maybe it's okay. Stop with the stupid ageism we're doing. Stop deciding Mm -hmm. the skin color is darker. It is so stupid what we're doing. And I just want, I hope every soul that's listening to this is hearing, we have to change. We can no longer have this anymore. This is ridiculous. It is not okay. And the only way forward, yes, we got to talk about it. We got to complain about it, but let's start changing it. And if you, I, you know, if we knew who Diana's that happened to, we don't want to work for that company. I'll just pull out beautiful Google. Google, they didn't step up a few years ago to support women that were stepping up and their Mm -hmm. employees stood out and said, well, we're not going to work for you anymore. And they stood up. I'm not saying they didn't, they, yeah, they meant the best. I'm sure we're tired of the policies that do not work for us. Mm -hmm. We're tired of all of that. Oh, I thought you were going to say I pulled up Google and I was ready to write a review. That's why I started laughing. (laughs) That is Deborah. That is what we need to do. (laughs) Well, and I appreciate Google, but also I do think we should take the time to write CEOs of company and tell them what we like and we don't like about what they're doing. I think Mm -hmm. people forget to do the old fashioned writing, but you know, 
I think we all should stand up for each other and stop working for companies that don't support us. Yeah. Very, stop very buying true. for companies that don't support us. Yeah. We've got vendors for you. Mm-hmm. Fix it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Deborah. So Kelly, talk to us about your personal experience. What does that look like? Um, how are you supported or maybe not supported? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for for sharing your stories. I think that it takes a lot of courage to share and be vulnerable, but it's so valuable. And, you know, there's, unfortunately, there are going to be other people going through these similar things that connect with what you're saying and, and how you were able to overcome it. So thank you all. Um, as far as personal stories, I mean, I'm almost reluctant to share this one because it's it's one that has followed me through my career at multiple places, unfortunately. But um, being a being a dancer for a Bulls dance team in the NBA for five years, um, it was really hard to get a job, a full time job. I was coming from the hospitality space. A lot of companies were saying you don't have any corporate experience. Oh, you might have to leave early some days to go to the you know the games. That's not going to work for us, right? But I finally got my start and in logistics, and I will always forever thank that opportunity because I love this industry. Um, but, you know, as I, as I continued in my career and being a male dominated space, you know, um, it was tough because as I was trying to grow my career in the recruitment and HR space, I had some people that knew that there were some pictures of me and a two piece outfit on, on Google and they were not okay with that. And they didn't support you know, especially as social media came out, right? It was like, you can't post pictures drinking or in a swimsuit or this and that. But then there would be men on the teams that were models on side or, you know, posting pictures of them and their swimsuits and no problem, right? But um, yeah, it, it came to my attention that like some pictures had been found as I was trying to like gain a promotion. And again, I'm on the court, you know, so it's not like, private photos. I've got my palms in my hands. I'm like dancing. There's like the crowd everywhere. Um, and I didn't think that that would be an issue. Right. Um, and so then at another organization, a female coworker, um, we were on a zoom meeting, a weekly zoom meeting with the other team members. And, um, she said, you know, I was, I was looking up Kelly's birthday on Google cause I didn't know when it was. And I came across like Who's some pictures that? of her. And she goes, I'm going to share my screen. Look how, look how beautiful she is. And I'm doing like quotes, right? Because she was saying as a way to like show how beautiful I am, but like, mm-hmm. you don't really do that without someone's consent. And like another woman, like it felt a little bit like, why are you putting me on blast? You know? And it was male and female colleagues on the call. Right. And so there I am full like screen and it's like picture after picture. And she's like choosing the smallest outfit she can find. And I'm just like, mortified. And so time after time, I did nothing about those situations. I just, you know, tried my best to show that I could do the job. And if it didn't work out, I unfortunately like had to like move on to the next organization. And it it was terrible. It wasn't like my choice. I loved every company that I work for. I absolutely love. And so unfortunately I moved on and, um, into this opportunity. Right. And so I was like, I, cannot do this anymore. I have not danced for that team for this many years. Like there's no new pictures. How am I going to like get away from this? Right. And be taken as a, as a true professional and not a professional dancer or a blonde or too like bubbly and like optimistic. So I'm a ditz, you know, and I was, I had just had it. And I finally got up the nerve to call HR and report it. And 
maybe a month later, I was let go. They didn't, they, I asked why they told me we don't legally, we don't have to tell you that What? you can grab your purse and then leave. You don't get to like, they packed my things for me. They sent everything to me. They didn't tell me anything, but I had done nothing wrong. Every performance review was glowing. I had hit all my goals. And so then I was unemployed and it was right after COVID. Right. And I was just absolutely dumbfounded that I had actually finally advocated for myself and taken that step, went through that. I mean, it was a lot to have those conversations, but then I never heard anything again until I, you know, HR was in my office, like telling me I needed to leave. Mm -hmm. And so I am so glad that now I'm in a place where I don't have to worry about those things. I've got such a supportive team and I, I really do understand companies that say, you know, maybe be mindful about what you post on social media and things like that. But I think that it's really difficult to be a woman because I was told by multiple companies that they were worried that the customers were going to look into my pictures or I couldn't put a picture in my signature because they thought I would like be looking at those things and maybe not want to work with them or maybe only want to work with them to like I don't know, get to me somehow. It was, or the other coworkers that I worked with might be uncomfortable seeing my midriff. It was, it was just insane. And I just, I wish so much that we could let people be people and still employ them. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you went through that. I mean, that should be something that you're proud of, right? And I was for a long time. I mean, it was a a really fun time in my life. And it took a lot of grit to get through that because, you know, I was working a lot of odd jobs and, and, you know, time management, you know, between five different jobs and all these things. And so I, I really was proud that that was my life goal. I moved from Iowa to Chicago in three days and didn't have a job, didn't have an apartment. I figured it all out. Right. Mm-hmm. And even now to this day, and I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm, I'm getting married soon and I've been trying to get into shape because obviously I want to look back on my photos and I don't dance, you know, as much as I used to. So I'm not as physically fit, but I, I can't get myself to go to the gym because I'm so afraid that like, either I'm not going to get back to that or I'm going to, and I'm not going to be seen in the same light. I don't want to be a piece of meat, you know? And I, I know that's silly. I should be able to like get myself to go to the gym and be happy with my body. But I'm like, I can't make myself do it. And I feel like I'm letting myself down by not being the best version of myself. But I focus on work instead, because I'm like, if I can succeed in my career, Mm then, you know, I'll be taken seriously and not be seen as a blonde and like in a two piece, whatever. I just got goosebumps. And I want to say thank you for sharing so vulnerably, because that takes a lot of courage. But I also want to take a moment for people to think about what you just said. And how each of those scenarios throughout your career post Chicago Bulls, and what those scenarios have done to you until up until this point. You haven't played the victim. You've gone and done what you've had to do. And you've been brave enough to speak about it. But each of those scenarios, every single person in those scenarios had a responsibility in how you are thinking about yourself currently in this moment when you're about to get married. And that is a shame. Like people should be ashamed of themselves. So 
I just wanted to give that a moment. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Um, thank you, Sam. In preparation for this particular episode, uh, not really in preparation, I was listening to it anyways, but I've been listening to the Sp uh, to Spare by Prince Harry. I know everybody's got lots of different opinions about him and Meghan Markle. <laughs> I get it. Not really going there. But it got me thinking about victimhood when it comes to that kind of privilege. Because some would say that he's not allowed to play the victim card because he be he's been handed everything and he he was handed an amazing life. But if you listen to his book and you listen to the different things that he's gone through with the press, fake stories that were said about him that he had to live through, right? None of us have experienced that level of um, fame, I guess you would call it, or celebrity or whatever that he was born into. But he was born to be a spare part. Like imagine being born into the royal family and being born into a family to be a spare part. Because the heir, if anything were to happen and he needed a kidney, the spare had to step up. Or they had to, they had to fly in different airplanes. They could not fly together because if one died, the other one was, had to be the spare. And it just got me thinking about how people go through different things at various different levels of, let's say, privilege. I'll use the word privilege, right? My dad owned a company. There was a lot that I went through. I went through a crap ton of bullying, but there was no moment for me to be a victim because my dad owned a company and I had privilege. It's the same for Prince Harry, but obviously on a very larger scale. But I just want to throw that out there because in listening to his book, I've been thinking about how people think about victimhood and how they look at it. And they look at certain people and being like, no, sorry, you can't even go there. You cannot have those feelings. What do you think, Jefferson? Sorry, caught me off guard there. I was honestly, I've been still thinking a lot about what Kelly was sharing and just mm -hmm. first off, thank you. So no, there's nothing to be sorry about Kelly. Um, personally, I think your story is beautiful. I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm I just, I've been really thinking no, a lot please. about sharing. And just the double standard that's right there. Because if you were a man and doing it, you would have been like, hey, yeah, a lot of doing all that stuff. And I'm just, because I've worked a lot previously in entertainment. And I just like, I'm not surprised. I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, I think I can share this. I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm not answering your question. But I remember I'm... Um, so I used to do publicity for the show, the Broadway show, Jersey Boys. One of the things we would do as a publicist to maximize publicity, we have um, papers that would do pinups in Toronto. So we have the cheesecake for the women, the beefcake for the guys. And that's just one route to maximize the publicity. I don't force anybody to do it, but I went to the cast and said, look, we have opportunity to do these pinup stories, guys and girls, like pick. You know, a couple of the guys were like, hey, I'm happy to take my shirt off and do it. Most of them happened to be the gay guys and they wanted to get dates out of it and they did it. To the women, though, what I thought was fascinating is they actually said to me, said, look, we want to do what's right for the show. But me in a bikini in a newspaper, I'm sorry, I don't see how that's good for the show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're right. Can I do that to their credit? They actually said, look, if you can come up with some solution 
where I don't feel like I'm like, that was their choice. Like, I don't feel like I'm, I don't know how to put it, putting my body on display for others to Google. Happy to comply. But me in a bikini just for this as actor, you know, X, Y, Z, no. And so I went back to the publication, had a chat with them, and they were like, well, anyways, yada, yada, yada. For those who've seen Jersey Boys, I'll be blunt, it's a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And the women in it had some sexy, I'm going to use the word sexy costumes. So I said to them, well, what if we have your character in it, in their costume? So it's your character, and it's like, you know, underneath it would have the actor's name or what have you. And they said, you know what? Thank you for that. That makes sense to me for the show mm. because it's my character who's now on display. Right. I wear this costume in the show. Yes, it's a sexy costume. It's a bit revealing or what have you. I mean, similar to they were dancers in um, a nightclub. That I'm fine with. And it makes now it makes sense for me to be scantily dressed shall we say, because it's about the show. It's about my character. Mm-hmm. I was to blow. Anyways, just to go back to what you're saying, Kelly, just, I mean, both the, um, all the stories that were shared by Deborah, Dan and Kelly, none of this is new, sadly. And it's just constantly happening. And I mean, Sarah, you hit the nail on the head before. Um, it's talking about it. It's those policies that are in a lot of workplaces. I mean, as a man, in this case, I've been in similar scenarios where I've had unwanted advances from both men and women um, made to me from working on um, in the entertainment field. I remember this one older woman invited me into her washroom to wash her frontal chest area. When I had just started out, I'm like 20 something and I'm like, this is not in my job description whatsoever. I, I didn't even know what to do because I wasn't even expecting this. I, I did it. And then I remember going to my boss and she was like, why would you just like, what do I know? This is my first job. I've been here for all of four weeks. I don't know. And she was like, this is not in your job description. If you were ever asked to do this again, you refuse and you come talk to me. I was like, okay, thank you. But I mean, that's the sad part. I mean, what Diana, especially Diana and Kelly, what both of you went through, I mean, so many people go through that and it's never discussed Mm -hmm. it's never dealt with i mean for fear of that litigation piece Mm -hmm. um so kudos to you for sharing um but it's like so much of that does happen in the workplace today going back to that victimhood thing and sarah i apologize because i'm not even answering your initial question it's okay it's okay okay. Uh, my original question to everybody was more around the privilege card and going back to what we were talking about bias because this was one one part. And an example that I'll share is I used to go to raves um, and I liked it because I liked the community. I liked the dancing. I didn't do the drugs. I just went to have a good time. And um, my VP of operations, every time we got together, would say something in front of everybody in the room because my dad owned the company, right? And he'd be like, oh, you guys need to stop talking. Sarah's going to run to her dad and tell her what we're saying. Oh, I'm pretty sure if we went to her desk, we'd find some ecstasy pills in her drawer. Oh, yeah. Like, anyways, going back to my point about the fact that in everybody else's eyes, I could not be the victim in that case. I had to take it because of my privilege. And I guess my question was, what do you think about that particular point and my point about Prince Harry? 
Sarah, I, I'd love to um, take that on because it's something that, um, and, and, it, and I'm totally losing my train of thought as I say this, but it, it's it sort of goes back to really to the same thing that, you know, that we're all saying here. This is happening every single day. It's happening every single day. And so we can't just keep having to talk about it. And and I, Kelly, I have um, a really dear friend of mine that is gorgeous as you are, Kelly. Yeah, I think everybody on the call is beautiful, but I mean, you are. And I've seen people be so discriminate, discriminate against her because mm. she's so beautiful. I'm like, I cannot believe the way men treat her. I, I just, it just really shocks me sometimes. Um, but and it, because it is also still a form of, it is a discrimination and it's bias. We've decided that, well, obviously Sarah and Kelly don't have any brains because they're blondes on the call today. I, mean, I choose to be blonde just I know. FYI. Okay. It, Every eight weeks. Just yeah, and, and and I'm losing I'm losing my my I'm losing my um what will you ask the question again because I have a really good answer. No, I was just talking about the bias against privilege. Thank you. So one day, yeah, one day I was on Twitter, uh whatever we we'll uh, get there, people. We're getting there, people. Twitter. It's okay. We won't go there, Twitter. But one day, I just wanted to say this. One day on Twitter, years ago, there was um a hashtag called um uh, trending about white by white privilege. And so I was looking at it and I was mortified by it, even though I know that I have privilege as a white woman, as a woman that grew up in the United States, as I, 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 I accept and own that privilege. And so the people were saying really stupid stuff. And I thought, no, I'm going to have to go in there. So I did. I went there and I said, what I'm doing with my white privilege, my developed growing, growing up in the United States, developed country privilege is I'm got that door open. I've jammed it open. I've got my body against it and I'm letting everybody else come in. So yes, we all have privilege in certain ways. We all do. How are you using it to make the world a better place? How are you using it to make sure Diana is not treated that way? That Kelly, just because Kelly, and you know, it's jealousy, Kelly, it's jealousy because I also, I have a beautiful, beautiful niece that was a Bills cheerleader, Kelly, and she only stayed one year because she could not stand the way she was treated. She mm -hmm. could not stand how she was treated. She said, Deborah, I'm smart. I, I can't stand the way I'm treated. So it's this weird reverse discrimination, but Kelly deserves it because she's pretty. What? Mm -hmm. So it's the way, what we have done to each other. Whereas we pick each other apart and decide you're not good enough because of this, it's, it's really um, chilling. But thank you again for the conversation, Sarah. I'll let you go to the next person. Absolutely. Kelly? If I may, I do also want to insert that um, I am so grateful for my team on the Bulls. And my, my director of entertainment was an amazing, strong woman that always advocated for us. And our coach took care of us. So like, I couldn't have gotten through those things without their support and like referrals to good companies and things. So I, I will say that there are there are good people out there that still support women in my situation that are entertainers, you know, and like Jefferson, you know, he's a great supporter. Um, when it comes to privilege, I will admit I haven't read the book yet, but I'm very much interested. Um, I think it's it's extra hard in a situation where think about celebrities, right? Everyone goes after celebrities because they put themselves out there. They want the job. 
they want to be in the spotlight, right? But you think about it, and some of those people might not want have wanted to be in the spotlight. Maybe they hit it bigger than they intended to, and then it comes with it comes with so much more than even I can imagine, right? But like so much more attention, so much more responsibility, so much more um, scrutiny, loneliness. right? And then you think about exactly loneliness, but to some extent. If you are a celebrity, you probably put yourself out there or you were born into it, right? So if you're born into a situation where you don't want that celebrity, you don't want that attention, I can only imagine how hard that is and all of the things that people say because they almost don't think that the people can hear them or that they're real people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, I, I wish that I'm glad that he came out with that story so that people can hear his perspective and, and what that looks and feels like to, to walk through every day. Um, because he's trying to show that he is a real person and, and this is his life and there's more to it than what people think just a silver spoon, like, you know, handed to you that it comes, I'm sure with a lot of responsibility and a lot of, a lot of having to hide yourself. and try to do the right things to not end up in the scandals but they'll find one anyway and they'll make it up so there's there's really no way to win so i'm I'm glad that he's speaking out yeah i before that i read uh the will smith biography as well that one is very interesting um especially when he gets to the french prince of bel-air i mean i don't know some of you guys might be a little bit too young for that but let me tell you that was (laughs) i i really enjoyed his story as well and he talked about you know, everything that he had to go through and what that's looked like for him. And I think it's interesting to hear from a variety of different perspectives. Again, this is why we have these conversations. People come from different backgrounds. They experience different things. And it doesn't make one person any less of a victim or any more than of a victim than anybody else. And I think we just need to remember that. So I think this has been an amazing conversation. Um, what I would like to do is leave everybody with one thing to think about or maybe take action on or, yeah, just leave this conversation uh, reflecting on um, because we like to leave everybody with something that they can, you know, take some sort of action on from these kinds of conversations. Or maybe it's something that you've learned today and that you're going to take with yourself and maybe reflect on or learn from a little bit more. Diana, I'm going to start with you. What's one thing you'd like to leave everybody with? Yeah, um, this is actually a point I was going to add as well um, before you prompted that, Sarah. But I think um, going back to your question and I guess summarizing this call, when it comes to things like privilege, um, it's acknowledging it and how you're going to navigate you know, your life or your situation with that privilege, but it doesn't mean because you have privilege, you can't also be a victim. And then being a victim doesn't also mean you're always broken. So the theme of just, you know, listening, acknowledging and learning from each other is so important because there is no one definition on how each of those terms should be handled. Yeah, I love that. And I think giving yourself grace as well. I love what you just said about that because no, you're not broken, but you also can't weaponize it. Yes. Like let's not weaponize this word victim, guys. I just think, you know, it's just not necessary. Thank you so much, Diana. I really appreciate that. All right, Kelly, what's one thing you'd like to leave everybody with? 
Man, I'm a talker. So one thing, you know, I'm going to try to <laughs> dial in here. Um, That's why I said one thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh man. Um, I would say um, to, to companies, to teams, to hiring managers, don't forget to ask your, the people that work with you and for you, how they're doing, how their day was, how their weekend was. Don't forget to be a person before being a boss or an employee or a team member. I think the more that we can care about each other and show up and and be real and give people that space to speak to what they're going through and support them is really going to hopefully open the door to having more of these conversations one-on-one or in a, in a tight-knit space where we can help people. Awesome. I love that. Thank you, Kelly. Deborah. Um, I I think uh, this is my new mantra that I'm doing these days. Once again, there's a lot broken in the world. There's a lot of trauma. Um, I lost my husband um, during the pandemic. Excuse me. I lost two brothers during the pandemic. Um, So times are intense. You don't know what people are walking. But I think where we are now is we there's a lot to complain about. There's a lot to distract us. But I think what we have to do now is make a difference. So whatever you're doing, follow, to, to go and figure out who to join, what tribe, how to help. We all can help make the world a better place now. Let's support each other. Let's support diverse um, entrepreneurs. I gave a shout out for Jefferson, but let's support each other. So if you're really traumatized and you're having a hard time figuring out how to move forward, just figure out one thing you can do to make a difference because we're adaptable. We can make a difference, but it cannot be okay for us to keep doing what we've been doing to each other. It just cannot be okay. Yes, I support the community of people with disabilities, but all those people are our people. So let's take care of our beautiful planet. Let's all figure out how we help make a difference. I think that's the best thing we can do right now. I Thank love you. that. Thank you, Deborah. All right, Jefferson. Last but not least, you got the last word on this show. Well, no, because I have an outro, but anyway. <laughs> um, so it seems like we've talked about three big themes today. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, please. We started with victimhood, and we talked about biases around victimhood, and then we talked about privilege that might inform our biases. And one thing I've noticed that sort of common denominator with all three Um Deborah, Diana, and Kelly all use the words empathy. They all use the words understanding. Sarah, you brought in this whole concept of listening. And that's one thing often in a lot of the training that I do um, around these very topics, actually not so much on the victimhood side, more around privilege and bias. Rules of engagement that I often use, and this is what I want to leave for your listeners today, Sarah, is a couple of things. I mean, Number one, we've already talked about this. Like, you don't know what you don't know. Everyone has is on their own journey. I believe Deborah brought up how everyone's on their own journey, and we are. We're all on our own journeys. We're all at different phases of all of this type of learning. Um, it's been a hard lesson for me to understand. Um, for me to understand the hard way, frankly. Um, but where I'm going with this is to go back to that listening and understanding. Is the key is to actively listen and actively listen to understand versus actively listen to counter. Mm -hmm. And that's another theme I've heard, especially when Diane and Kelly were sharing their stories, how when they were sharing their stories with the people in their lives in the workplace, 
they were listening, yes, but they were listening to be like, well, well, what, what could you have done differently? What could you have done that wouldn't have made this happen versus listening to understand that they didn't do anything that they couldn't have or shouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. Diana was just at a work function enjoying herself when someone made a very unwelcome and inappropriate um, gesture. Kelly was a dancer. People dance. And so many dancers I know, their costumes, I used to work and dance myself. I was, well, I was a dancer, but not in that way. When I say that way, as in not professionally, I would dance at weddings and such, but <laughs> I would do a lot of promotion with dancers. And so many dancers' costumes are very, can be very revealing. Frankly, I work with this man who was basically stripping on stage doing Sufi dancing. Um, fascinating. That's another story. But all I'm saying is just listen to understand versus yeah. listen to And I find we don't, when we actively listen, and Deborah, you brought this up in social media, and that's why I find I am guilty of it myself. Don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. I stupidly read the comments and then try to educate. And then it's just, oh, you're playing the victim card. You're playing, and that's, so I just stop reading the comments and I just, sadly, I don't engage anymore. I try not to. Yeah. But yeah, so listening to understand basically is with this. Thank you. And stop weaponizing the word victim. I think that's a really big one that comes out from today as well. And I just want to say to all of you, it takes a lot of courage and bravery um, to click the yes button on the calendar invite and to actually show up today. And each one of you has shown up today. You've been vulnerable and authentic. And I just want to say thank you so much for your bravery and your courage. Thank you so much for being so open and honest through some of these really just tough conversations. This is a very complicated and personal topic. Too big for one episode, to be honest. But as always, we're here just to be the jumping off point, to inspire you to reach out to others, seek help for yourself, or create a better culture in your workplace. Don't forget that you can reach out to me or any of our guests on social media if you have anything you'd like to add to what we've talked about today. And remember to join us next time for episode 37 of Blended, when we'll be talking all about the differences between what men and women have to think about in the workplace. From what you wear at a trade show and time out for motherhood to job applications and complicated power dynamics. If we're going to level the playing field for women, we need to address the specific set of challenges they face. And we can't do that if we don't know what those challenges are. Or worse, if we're pretending those challenges don't exist at all. This is going to be a really important listening for all genders. So make sure you don't miss it. Everyone, Deborah, Diana, Kelly, and Jefferson, thank you so much for joining me today.